Welcome to the sermon podcast from Compass Church. In this sermon from December 19th, 2021, Pastor Craig Kidder teaches from Luke chapter 1. We learn how God responds to us with love in our weakness. For more information, please visit compasscfc.com. If we can just stay there for a second. God, thank you for beauty. A beauty that just pulls us out from us and helps us to live in the big sky country of the kingdom of God. God, thank you for the breath of heaven that you speak. You are not silent. You are not disinterested. We can trust you. God, we all come into this room from different places. Some of us are weary. Some of us are skeptical. Some of us are hurt. God, what are you going to do with our weakness? God, just like Mary experienced her world being turned upside down and all the insecurities that come with that, we are just left wondering, what about us? What do you do with our weakness? God, I pray that your word would give us answers today. And that we would know if we can count on you and if we can, what does that look like? Ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Can we just thank the band one more time? I mean, that was remarkable. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lori. Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. My name is Craig. Merry Christmas. All right, thank you. Yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that. Love. What is love? I was waiting for like a baby, don't hurt me. <laughs> but we'll take Jesus. That's perfectly acceptable. <laughs> Love. Uh, we've, been, we've been thinking about this holiday season. What if we took some of the claims of Christmas seriously? Like if you know the Advent calendar, like love, joy, peace, hope. And those are all wonderful things, but sometimes I can just feel like these abstract ideas, right? Like all you need is love, Right? Love, right? Wouldn't it be lovely if we had more love in our lives? Well, what are the conditions that need to be met in order for love to take place? Right? Like if, if love is a garden, how do you cultivate it? Like, we all like love and we all want love, but do you have a love that when life surprises you, when the floor falls out, you know you can count on that love? Do, do you have a love that provides you with a deep and abiding sense of peace? Have you experienced that, or is it a far-off idea? Uh, see, Michael, Michael Bowsery, in his memoir, Acid for the Children, I know, I don't understand it either, uh, but in, in his memoir, Acid for the Children, he said, uh, because of Christmas, I almost became a Christian. And he goes on to describe the joy and the love that he experienced around the holiday season. We all talk about love. We all celebrate love. We believe it. But then he looked back at his young life. He was living in suburban New York, very, a very square existence. Mom stayed home. Dad worked. Then mom discovered jazz and started sneaking off to the Newport Jazz Festival, started really identifying with beatnik culture. And, and Michael celebrated that. He loved that. But it also started to mean his family was getting torn apart. Mom moves out, leaves dad, and then dad heads back to their home, Australia, never again to see his family. And Michael, oh, it just broke my heart reading it. Michael, it, it describes in great detail sitting on the porch with his dad, saying goodbye, getting that last piece of advice as his dad then turned to his mom and said, now get out of my house. And Michael is like, yeah, what about that love from Christmas? You may not know who Michael Bowsery is, but he went on uh, to be known uh, by his stage name, Flea. And uh, I think that he's a bass player for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. He goes on to describe that love that he was seeking, he found in other places. And his mom's junkie boyfriend uh, played the bass. And he started finding a love and a home there. And that's the thing. 
Do we have a love we can count on? We've all been disappointed by love. We all get surprises. Maybe it's that marriage that didn't last as long as you wanted it to. Maybe it's the death of a loved one. Maybe it's coming to grips with the fact that your career didn't pan out the way you thought it would, and you're trying to come to peace with disappointment. What's love got to do with any of that? Got to do, got to do with it. I can do this all day, all right? (laughs) Do we believe in love, or is love just an abstract, nice idea? Dallas Willard lamented, Uh, the spiritual guru, lamented that people loved his books, people loved talking about transformation, but no one did what his books suggested, and he'd go around to all these conferences and see lots of people talk about great ideas and then would experience very little transformation, right? Is is this love that Jesus promised, is it it only supposed to transform us like 50% of the way? Like 70% of the way, is Jesus okay with like a C minus as far as transformation goes in our lives? Or are we missing something when it comes to love? We've all been disappointed by love. And so it's hard to surrender to something that we fear is going to disappoint us. How do you surrender to something that you know will hurt you? People let us down. So What's the ground where love grows in? How do we really experience love? How do, we, how do we bring our weaknesses to someone and know that it will be met with tenderness? Because that's the ground where love takes place. Love takes place when we trust that our weakness will not be exploited. The ground that love grows in grows when we trust that the weaknesses we have will not be exploited when we show them to someone. And in the Christmas story, in Mary's story, we see weakness exposed. How does God respond to Mary's weakness? How does he respond to Mary's weakness? And can we trust that he might respond to our weakness in a similar way? What do we do when life disappoints us? Do we really have a love that we can bring our weaknesses to? Because anticipating, if we anticipate that our weakness will be met with tenderness, would that change anything? Would it be a game changer if we knew there was somewhere we could go where our weakness wasn't something to be squashed or exploited, but our weakness was met with tender care? That's what Mary's story is all about. And Luke, the gifted biographer who tells us that story, What he does to highlight Mary's story is he holds up another character that we can compare Mary to, this guy named Zachariah. See, we've been been talking a lot this holiday season that Christmas is good news for misfits. Fundamentally, what a misfit is, this is not an overrated punk band from the 70s. Thank you. I knew someone would get that. Um, It is. A misfit is someone who looks around and says, is there really a place for me here? Do I really belong here? And we've been talking all week. Misfits can have hope, joy, peace. And now we're landing on the big one, love. See, love, love changes us. If we have somewhere to belong, if we really can trust a love that will transform us, that will respond to our weakness with tenderness, we stop being misfits. We have home. We have a place we belong. And that sounds too good to be true. But here's the thing. This love breaks into the story at a low point. Mary and Zechariah got the surprise of their life. Both their worlds get turned upside down, and love meets them where they are. Because here's what happens. They get met with a message from God. We meet them in 
disarray, confusion, surprise, but we leave them with praise. They're celebrating. They're experiencing joy. The only thing that can get us from here to there is love. And it's not sentimental. It's a love that climbs into the brokenness with us. And the question that we have to ask is like, is this really trustworthy or is it too good to be true? Can I get my hopes up? Am I going to get disappointed? Is this trustworthy? Because you're never going to surrender to something that's not trustworthy. Surrender to love, right? You, can't, you can kind of surrender to something that's not trustworthy. At best, you'll just get codependency. But can you surrender to a love that actually changes things? That's what Christmas is all about. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. How can we be confident that our weakness will be met with tenderness? If you have these maroon seatback Bibles, it's on page 1557. The year pizza was invented. That might be true. Someone fact check that. That probably isn't true. All right. Luke chapter 1, page 1557. We are going to be starting in verse 11. Let me just set a little bit of the context for you. All right? Remember, we're trying to compare and contrast these two characters, a man and a woman. The man is in the center of culture. All right? He's a priest. He's standing in for Israel. He's in the temple, standing in for Israel, burning incense. It's that time of year. All right? The woman is outside the city. Does anyone know where the word heathen comes from? One who lives along a hearth. All right? Heathens are people who live outside cities. She's outside the city. All right? So he's near the center of culture. She's outside the center of culture. He's a priest. She's a nobody. All right? We see, the, but they're both kind of misfits because we learn that Zechariah has no kids. All right? If you live in the, the American Midwest, which I'm banking some of you do, uh, not having kids and, like, being married it is seen with, like, suspicion, right? People are like, oh, that's love, so you didn't have kids, huh? Why? Right? And it's awkward, and you got to deal with that. But if you don't have kids in the first century, not only is it awkward, it can be devastating. Not only are you financially unstable, you have no heir, but, like, it was also seen as, like, hey, God isn't blessing you. So he's, he's in the center, but he's kind of a misfit as well. Mary, though, becomes a super misfit, all right? And here's the thing. The, the Bible understands science, okay? And Mary says this. Gabriel, which you've got to wrestle with angels. Ah, what's going on here? But like, like Gabriel, an angel, shows up and says, you're going to have a baby. And Mary understands science. She says, how can I have a baby? I haven't, you know, done the pre... I didn't take my prereqs. I didn't do the thing you do to get a baby, all right? A young woman being pregnant outside of marriage. This is before third wave feminism. This is before first wave feminism. All right? This is not a friendly world to be such a person. Weakness. One person doesn't have kids. Weakness. One person's life just got turned upside down. Weakness. How does God respond to weakness? Is he trustworthy? Can we anticipate some kind of response? I'm so glad you asked. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. This is Zechariah, remember? He was standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, no, don't be afraid. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You're to call him John. I love this. I love this, right? He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. 
And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and to the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, um, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. And, and my, my wife, she's not old, but she's well along in years. Smart guy. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Skip ahead to verse 26. Our other character in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I'm a virgin, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Behold, the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we need help trusting your word today. We must confess that oftentimes what we just read does not line up with what our experience tells us. Our experience tells us that weakness is met with strength. That when we're weak, people will point out our weakness. They will exploit it. But Father, we see you moving toward our weakness in tenderness. God, I pray that we would trust that message. What is true for Mary can be true for us Today And God, help us to trust this message that feels too good to be true. God, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here's, here's the whole Mary story in a nutshell. We've got a lot to unpack, but just if you get this, here we go. Anticipating a comforting response to our weakness lets us find help quickly. Anticipating a comforting response to our weakness lets us find help quickly. Let's say you got hired at your job, and let's be honest, you kind of, you didn't pad your resume, but you, know, you highlighted certain things, and you feel a little underqualified for your role, all right? And you have a coworker who's jealous about that. Now, when you say, I don't know what I'm doing, how do you think that weakness will be met? Positively? No, it's going to be seen as an opportunity to get ahead for that coworker. Oh man, I see a way I can get ahead. They don't know what they're doing. I'm going to show the bosses I know what I'm doing. We're, this is finally, I didn't get the promotion this time, but they're going to get rid of this person and I'll get ahead finally. Weakness being exploited. What are you going to do with that weakness? Are you going to feel like, yeah, this is a safe place where I can ask questions and say, I don't know what I'm doing. Can I receive help? No, we hide weakness when we feel like it's not going to be met positively. The word for that is shame, all right? We live in a Genesis 3 world. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, instead of coming to God with that weakness, hey, we messed up, sorry, they hid shame. They ran. 
If we don't think our weakness is going to be met with tenderness, we hide our weakness. Think about in marriage relationships. Let's say you have a spouse that loves pointing out shortcomings of yours. Imagine for a friend, all right? And, and it's like, man, every time I just, a weakness of mine comes up, they're just so quick to jump on it. Are you going to be quick to say, here's more weaknesses? No, we hide our weaknesses. But if we can be confident and comfortable that our weakness is going to be met with tenderness, that strength, someone who has something we don't, comes to us, weak, the weaker one, with tenderness, we're going to be quick to come to that person to solve problems. That's exactly what we see with Zechariah and Mary. And it, we have to slow down and point it out because at first it seems like we get two very different responses from God. It seems like he's harsher with Zechariah and he's really gracious with Mary. Like, listen to the greeting that he gives to Mary. This is in chapter 1, verse 28. The angel comes to Mary and says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. What does the angel say to Zechariah? Listen to verse 20. You're going to be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. It's like, uh, those feel like wildly different responses. One, hello, highly favored one. Hey, you can't talk, right? And it's like, uh, I thought you just said God was reliable, that he deals with weakness and tenderness. Uh, can Zechariah get some help here? All right, let's just unpack this for a second. When we compare and contrast Zechariah and Mary, which is what we're supposed to do, we're supposed to look at Zechariah, we're supposed to look at Mary, and we're supposed to say, how are they similar? How are they different? Okay? They both ask how questions. Zechariah asks, how can this be? All right? And Mary asks, how is this going to happen? All right? They're different questions. Zechariah's question is like, I don't believe you. All right? I'm very unsure of this. Mary's question is like, I, I'm trusting, but I have questions. And we see God responds to each of them with tenderness, with what they need. Okay? Let me unpack this for a second. All right, look with me back at uh, chapter 1, verses 19. Gabriel's response. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to what? To speak to you and to tell you this good news. Now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Now there's just a thing we don't understand about biblical prophecy. In the Bible, when someone says something's going to happen that hasn't happened yet, there's a formula that the Bible almost always follows. So when someone comes and says, hey, here's the future, all right, which doesn't happen a ton in the Bible, but when it happens, they follow a formula. Here's that formula. Hey, this thing's going to happen in a long time, 40 years, all right? Well, how do we know that's going to be true? We're probably going to be dead by then. Okay, well, you can trust me because in the short range, this other thing is going to happen, okay? So you can trust me that this 40-year thing coming from now is going to happen because this, like, three-year thing is going to happen, all right? Think back about, like, Isaiah. That's where the virgin birth prophecy comes from. Isaiah's like, hey, the Davidic kingdom is going to get ripped away from you, Ahaz, and you're going to know because my son is going to do something awesome, all right? Short term to let you know that a long-term thing is coming. Think of the book of Revelation, right? Here's how this whole thing is going to wrap up. Seven churches, Here's what's going to happen to you. So we get a short-term prediction so you can trust the long-term message. This is exactly what the angel does to Zechariah. Hey, long-term message. Nine months, you're going to have a baby. I don't believe you. Okay, to help you believe, I'm going to give you a sign. What's that sign? You can't talk. It's a sign so that he'll believe the long-term message. And it's not, like, we, we can read that as like, that's kind of harsh. But it's punny. In literature, it's called ironic retaliation. The angel comes and uses his words and speaks to him. And Zachariah says, I don't believe your words. And so now the angel says, all right, fine. When you can't talk, that's supernatural. You used to be able to talk. Now you can't talk. You're going to be reminded, oh, God speaks. I can trust his word. It's, it's not God being like, oh, boom, I'm going to punish you because I don't like you. You're annoying. Stop talking. It's God saying, hey, I want to build in you some resilience to these, your world getting turned upside down. I want you to know I'm trustworthy. So I'm going to give you this little step so that you 
oh yeah, I didn't trust God's words and this is happening, the words that he said that are coming later will come true. It was a daily reminder for him to trust. It's tenderness. How do we know it's tenderness? Because if you compare Zechariah with Mary, this is how Gabriel shows up to Mary. And by the way, Gabriel, do you know who Gabriel was? Gabriel is mentioned only in two previous uh, writings. One is in the Old Testament, and one is what is commonly called the Apocrypha. All right, and in the Old Testament, in, Dan- in the book of Daniel, Gabriel is always associated with the end of the world. In the book of Enoch, he's associated with, like, kind of, he rules paradise, but it's also, it's the end of the world. This is essentially the grim reaper showing up, and they're terrified, like, whoa! right like this is a bad this is not this this is not what I was expecting this Tuesday morning right ah the Grim Reaper's in their house and he's like don't be afraid okay right we kind of gloss over just how shocking and hard this was for these folks but listen to what this Grim Reaper says to uh, he says to Mary the verse 28 the angel went to her and said greetings you who are highly favored the Lord is with you that word highly favored is where we get the word grace from the word grace now just a quick word on the word grace the angel shows up and says this grace the message I have for you is grace Many of us have been given a definition of grace that goes something like this. Not if you've heard this. Unmerited favor. Have you heard that? Okay. Unmerited favor. So that's life-changing, but, but I think the definition needs a definition. Okay? So let's just unpack that for a second. The angel shows up to Mary and says, grace, unmerited favor. Well, let's think about this favor for a second. Favor, what does that mean? I love that the NIV kept like the old King James, favor, right? Favor means someone really, really likes you, all right? The word grace comes from the same root word as joy, all right? So someone delights in you. They really, really like you. Their face lights up when they see you. They're just like, oh man, I'm a huge fan. Unmerited means we don't do anything to earn that, to maintain that, or to deserve that, all right? The message that God has for Mary is he's a huge fan. I really, really, really delight in you. I love you. I'm overjoyed with you. And you haven't done anything to deserve that. It's unmerited. The message that God has, who's powerful, this powerful one shows up to this weak one with tenderness. God shows up to Mary's weakness. She's vulnerable. She's alone. She's a woman in that culture. God shows up in tenderness and says, I really delight in you, and you haven't done anything to deserve this. Unmerited favor anticipating a comforting response to our weakness means that we are quicker to ask for help. And what does Mary do? Remember, Zechariah doubts, and God is gracious. That same God gives him a a lesson to learn that's corrective. God doesn't blow past our sin and our weakness. There's correction, but it comes from a heart that delights unmerited favor. She has some questions, right? Look with me at verse 34. How will this be? Because I am a virgin. She understands science. This isn't going to work out for me. I I have questions. But her questions are like, hey, I trust. I trust. But how is this going to work out? And what's the angel's response to her? He peels back the curtain and gives her the seminary education of a lifetime He explains the virgin birth to her. He says this, The Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. It's amazing. And when we think about the context too, in the Bible, in the Bible, when a barren woman has a child, something really big is about to happen. All right? Abigail, 
barren woman. Who's the child she has? Samuel, right? When barren women have kids, something big happens. Elizabeth, barren, has a kid. Something big's going to happen. God cranks up that miracle even more and says, not just a barren woman, someone who's un- is physically impossible to have a child because I'm going to do something really, really big. What is that? He's, verse 32. He'll be great, called Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. He will reign forever. He's answering her weakness with tenderness and strength. He's not crushing her weakness. He's answering with, hey, I see your problem. I see your plight. You can trust my tenderness. Right? In that culture, in that cultural context, women who were pregnant outside of marriage could have been killed. She, the fact that she can go to praise is a great indication that she is taking God's word seriously. It is so hard for us to believe this message, that God delights in us, And we haven't done anything to deserve this. We might believe that God delights in us and really likes us on our good days. Man, when I'm nailing it, when I'm performing, God's like, all right, now you get the smile. Good job. Keep it up. That's because we don't really think God is a reliable source of tenderness. We don't really think he's going to meet our weakness with tenderness. We think he's going to meet our weakness with with strength and crush our weakness. It is hard for us to move our hearts, to tune our hearts from a place of like, ah, weakness is bad. Doesn't God take sin seriously? Weakness is bad. He's going to crush it. Look, God absolutely takes sin and injustice seriously. Absolutely. And his grace, when sin abounds, Grace super abounds. His anger is to the third and fourth generations, but his grace is to the thousands. God's posture toward us is not, I'm angry, let's deal with that. Okay, now we can get on to love. It's love, it's love, it's tenderness, and hey, there's some areas for correction here. But they don't come from, oh, I just wish you'd stop so then I can love you. The love comes first. Oh, favored one, gracious one. Mary hadn't done anything to deserve. Yes, she was righteous. She's just a woman minding her own business. There were lots of righteous women in that time. God shows up with grace. And Mary had a heart that she was tuning to receive that grace. How do we know that? Because of her magnificant is what it's called. The Mary's magnificant, which is Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. It's her song of praise. It's how she responds, okay? If you want to know the state of scholarship of the Gospels, you just have to read commentaries on Luke. And this is what they say, real commentaries. Okay, this must have been a later edition. Maybe like Luke made this up himself because there's no way Mary could have written this, right? So there's a presupposition. You know know what the presupposition is? These are not my words, by the way. Women are dumb, so Luke probably wrote this. I was, this is a true story. I was uh, in a seminar, and there were people, like, asking all kinds of questions, and someone stood up and said, hey, Bible nerds, which was a lot of guys in the room, uh, can, can you talk about the seven or eight Old Testament passages that Mary strings together in Mary's Magnificat? And we're like, uh, one, I got one, all right? She is a master at the Old Testament, an uneducated woman. Now, Mary's not just smart, and she is, all right? Which is uh, holding us an example for all of us. Mary's not just smart. We're watching someone who's built resilience into their life. We're watching someone who's built resilience. She's not just trying to live in the Hebrew Bible so she can impress a room full of Bible nerds thousands of years later. She's tuning her heart to live in reality. Think about this for a second. Has anyone recently been to a, like, children's basketball game? All right, like middle school, elementary school. 
Last week, was it last week or the week before? Steph Curry beat Ray Allen's uh, three-point record. Was it last week? Okay, Steph Curry beat Ray Allen's three-point record. Amazing, uh, but even more amazing, just as amazing, he has a teammate called Clay Thompson, okay? And Clay Thompson, if you've ever watched Clay Thompson shoot, Clay shoots, and he's, it's amazing. Like, these people just, it's like, how do they make, they're shooting from the logo. How do they do that? They shoot, and he goes like this for a long time, all right? So he shoots, he makes a three, and he just keeps his, his hand like that. Now, when you go to little kids' basketball games, you'll see all these kids, like kids this tall, shooting from the logo and going like that, and then, you know, air ball, and they just wait, and then everybody's back on defense, and they're, oh, you know, you know. Here's the message of what we learned from Mary's Magnificat. If you want to be like Mary, you can't just go like this, all right? If you want to be like Clay Thompson, you can't just do that. Clay probably gets good night's sleep. He probably watches what he eats, probably practices a lot. All right? He doesn't just do that. Just the same with Mary. When suffering happens, when life surprises us, when you lose that job, when you get surprised, you can't just go, well, praise God, this is great. I'm trying to be like Mary. I think, I don't know, but I think God's heart to that is he's still like, when's the real you going to show up to this party? When, you, when do you finally feel like I'm going to be, you can be honest with me, that I really will reply with tenderness? All right, if we just try to just practice what, doing what Mary's doing, we're gonna, we are missing the years before this where a woman is tuning her heart through Scripture to trust the goodness and kindness of God. How do we know that? Look at part of her Magnificat. Look at what she's saying as, look, she has no answers at this point. She, all she knows is that she trusts God, she's now pregnant, and she's going out into a world that's not super friendly. Right? If you read John's Gospels, the religious leaders accused Jesus of being a bastard child. This followed them around forever. All right? This wasn't like, oh, hooray! They know Christmas is coming. They know thousands of years from now we're all going to make, woohoo, Mary. This changed her. This rocked her world. She has no answers. And in the midst of not having answers, what does she say? Look at verse 49. The mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. That's God's strength. God's powerful. I'm not powerful. He's met my weakness with tenderness. He's done great things for me. Verse 51. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. But he has lifted up the humble. Tenderness. She is trusting in God's tenderness when life has thrown her the surprise of all surprises. And what does she say? Remember, she's standing in for Israel. And what does she say? He has helped his servant Israel in verse 54 remembering to be merciful. She is confident that life is going to be hard, but she is anticipating a response from God that will be one of tenderness. And so she can go to him for help. That strength will not crush her. That strength will not keep her at arm's length. She can be confident that God will respond to her weakness with tenderness. And if she can do that, if she can do that, you and I don't have to hide anymore. What would it look like as a community if we really trusted that weakness is not something that slows us down, but weakness is an opportunity for growth and for beauty? Think about it. some of those beautiful things in the world are delicate. They're fragile. Think about florists. Think about the attention to detail that they have with these beautiful, fragile flowers. Beauty comes out of fragility. Some of the most fragile things on our planet, babies. The next generation comes into the world in vulnerability and fragility, and then we see tremendous growth. Weakness is not something to run from. Weakness is something to embrace. How do we as a people really respond to weakness with tenderness? Right? It's super nice to say, I would like for that to happen. I'd be a part of that community. But we've all been parts of communities where people have let us down. We've given our hearts to people only to watch them just hurt us. Unfortunately, we cannot control what other people are doing. 
How can we be people who respond to our own weakness and to the weakness of others with tenderness? I think there's three ways we can do that. This comes from like deeper walk ministries. They give us three ways that we can do that. Way number one is to amplify joy instead of amplifying problems. When someone comes to us with weakness, the very first posture, the move we should have should be to amplify joy, not to amplify the problem. I'm not saying ignore the problem, but look, it's very, they're coming to you in crisis, they know there's a problem. All right, trust, they get it. And then let's do the hard work to say, what are the real things I can amplify here that create joy in this moment? And it may be hard. Like my friend Eric Jimenez says, affirmation without specificity is frustrating. Affirmation, hey, you're awesome. Without specificity, you're awesome, is frustrating. Why? You're awesome. Stop saying that. All right? When someone comes to us and they're hurting, it's like, oh, you're hurting. Great shoes. It's not going to amplify joy. All right? It's, it's in that moment saying, okay, I'm a favored one. God delights in me, unmerited. That's who I am. All right? How can I help this person to experience what I'm experiencing? All right? How can I help them to take steps toward trusting God's tenderness? Oh, you know, here's the thing. Someone comes back and says, hey, you know what's so beautiful? You're the type of person who asks for help. Whew. Let's celebrate that. You know, hey, I come from a family where we don't ask for help. We just see a problem. We just kind of pretend it's not a problem. Like we take like a possum type posture. Just play dead. Maybe the problem will go away. But that's not you. You actually asked for help. Isn't that amazing? Man, that's a huge evidence of grace. That's something to, I, that is beautiful. Let's sell it. Amplify joy. Be specific. Don't just, uh, you're awesome, right? Nobody wants that, all right? The second thing we can do to respond to weakness with tenderness. So first, we're going we're gonna to amplify joy. That's called building joy. That's what they say, building joy. Secondly, we need to notice when people are tired and let them rest. Notice when people are tired and let them rest. The hardest thing about trying to be a person of love in someone else's life is we just rush into fix-it mode. Well, have you tried? Well, have you tried this? Have you thought about this? Hey, are you sick? I read something on the internet once. Let notice. Man, this person in front of me, all right, they're, they're showing me weakness. Man, that's amazing. We're going to celebrate that. They seem tired. Hey, man, you seem tired. That's hard. Sure is hard. Notice that's, that's what Gabriel did, I think, to both Zechariah and Mary. He, he saw their weakness and tried to provide rest. Zechariah, you don't have to talk for a few months, all right? And while you're not talking, I just want you to think about how God's word's trustworthy, all right? And with Mary... Man, yeah, you have some questions? I see that. I know what you need. Here's some more info. Let me fill out this picture a little bit more for you. Noticing that someone is tired, providing rest is a way that we can be people who respond in tenderness. Right? Because if love is nice, but if love isn't changing our day-to-day interactions, we're going to be just like Willard said. We're going to get like a C- minus in the transformation department. Like, yeah, this Jesus stuff is nice, but... Man, I sure don't, I sure don't have much experience with love. Like we talk about love, love would be nice. But if we start responding to weakness with tenderness, we're starting to help people experience God's love. And look, it's always easier to see it in other people than it is for ourselves. Someone comes to us with weakness and we can respond, oh man, that's so great. You came to someone for help. And they're like, oh, you, no, that's not, you're just saying that. That's not true for me. And then we can start to go, oh man, is that what I do with my weakness in God? I have a hard time believing him. Am I more like Zechariah in that? Like God comes to me, my weakness, I'm like, yeah, sure, I'm a favored one. Sure, you delight in me, but that's probably true for the super spiritual. We can see that in other people. When we, when we give people tenderness, we can start to experience tenderness in new ways for ourselves. And, and the folks at Deeper Rock called that creating shalom for people. So joy and grace are related, right? Grace is when someone 
enjoys us. They have joy over us. We call that experience grace. But joy is like high energy, right? Joy are those moments where we're like, woohoo, right? This is fantastic. Yeah. We can't all live like that. Shalom, though, is related to joy. It's that low energy joy. It's like, man, things are good. I'm experiencing peace. When we, when we let people rest, we can be people of peace. That tenderness creates that low energy, hey, we still have problems, but we can, we can return to joy when life throws us surprises. You can experience love in the midst of this. And that's the last step they, they have is return to joy. So first, we're people who build joy, we create shalom, and then we return to joy. And how do we do this? Well, the folks at Deeper Walk say we do this like this. We share in people's distress. Someone comes to us and their world is spinning. Life has surprised them. They were, they were a leader in their church and then their spouse walked out on them and they don't know what to do. We can share in their distress. Whew, that's hard. Man, oh, I'm going to weep with you. Because that's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is the experience of someone who's stronger than us coming and sharing in our distress. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And as soon as he became flesh, it was rainbows and butterflies and super easy. He became flesh. There was genocide. Then there was a flight to Egypt. Not very much of his childhood is known, which leads us to believe his childhood was spent in obscurity. No one knew. No one cared. He comes into a public ministry and to the folks he came to save, they rejected him. And he was treated as an outsider. He was shamed publicly in the worst, most shameful way possible, Roman crucifixion. And then we say, yeah, is God's tenderness really reliable? And his answer is, I've shared in your distress. I entered your hard world. And I took on the hardness. I felt your pain. I didn't just know about your pain. I experienced your pain. That's how God responds to our weakness with tenderness. And this room is full of people who carry their weakness into the room. This room is full of people who their weakness doesn't stay in the parking lot on Sunday morning. There's disappointed marriages. There's church hurt. There's people who they, they wish that their relationship with their kids was something that it's not. And as a result of that, the pain is overwhelming. There is hurt and disappointment and weakness in this room. And the sign of a healthy community is celebrating weakness. Communities that love old people are healthy communities. When we get old, it is about embracing and coming to terms with weakness. I can't remember all I used to remember. I can't run like I used to run. I can't get on my knees and play with the kids anymore. I'm embracing weakness. And what does this community think of my weakness? Are they just trying to push me off to the side so we can highlight strength? Or does this community really believe that weakness is something to run toward with tenderness? Has this community experienced the tenderness of God's strength when he sees our weakness? There is weakness in this room. And one thing we must do is just regularly celebrate and regularly just say we admire the folks who week after week are able to just show up even though there's hurt, even though there's disappointment. They're here. They don't have all the answers. They're working to tune their heart. It's hard. But they're here. And, and look, I don't know if it's going to get 1% better, if it's going to get worse, but they're here. And we can trust 
that that's something beautiful and that we can celebrate that. Communities that can do that are communities that say, hey, we've experienced love. We've experienced love so we can create a loving environment. All that tenderness to weakness, the name for that, the biblical name for that is love. Uh, there's a sign hanging in my kitchen, and I, I don't know why. I, I've always wanted to change it, but it's just a beautiful reminder. It's an Augustine quote, St. Augustine, near the end of his life, and it just, it just captures this idea of God's strength with our weakness. It says, it's Augustine talking about God. He says, I'll carry you. Augustine, God's talking to Augustine. I'll carry you. Clear to the end, and even at the end, I'll carry you. Are we confident? Are we confident in God's tenderness? The way that that shows up is how we treat each other. What do we do with each other's weakness? Do we see it as an opportunity to grow in our tenderness? Or do we see it as something to be avoided? We have a God who, when he shows up to weakness, says, greetings, favored one. I delight. I love you. And what Mary shows us is that over time, it's possible to trust that tenderness. It's not easy. It takes work. It takes time. But healthy cultures put in the time. There's no quick fix here. We trust that he'll keep showing up as we keep showing up. And then love can take place when we believe that our weakness will not only not be exploited, but will be seen, redeemed, and then sent off with us on a road to transformation. Father, Father, we know that you love us, but we don't often know that you love us. God, I pray that your favor would just ring true in our hearts when life keeps surprising us. God, I pray that we would be people who work to tune our hearts to the reality that you give more grace. Ask all these things in Jesus' name. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.